is a Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. Can you all hear me okay? Great. Um, we'll sit for half an hour, then there'll be a talk, then discussion. Uh, please begin your sitting now. I'll give a few minutes of instruction. Very helpful to sit upright. And as best as possible to be on your sits bones. Even if you're in a chair, I always scoot my rear end back and and then I'm sitting more on my sit bones. So that there's an uprightness from the base of the spine that goes all the way through the back of the neck. And really adjusting the body so that you're sitting upright and relaxed energized and relaxed simultaneously. It's very helpful to let your eyes close and let your attention Focus on the liveness that is sitting here, that is having, that is adjusting the body, that it's having thoughts and feelings and hearing sounds. Be aware of the that which knows, the liveness that's here, the consciousness that's here. Notice how you can be aware of whatever is here as you start to be aware of the liveness that sits here. It's often very helpful to begin with the body to get here, to get to this moment, to the life that's sitting here now. 
not simply being enchanted by our mental life or our emotional life, but the actual physical, somatic, kinesthetic, energetic aliveness that's right here. And the spirit that embodies all of it. The consciousness that lives here. very traditional, very skillful to be aware of the body with its life and the breath that keeps us alive in each moment. And feel free to focus very particularly on the body and the breathing as a way to begin to unify the heart and mind with the life that's sitting here, the embodied life, so that we begin to establish an embodied awareness. Let your mind begin to unify with your body and breath. So that we begin to support the samadhi. That is part of all meditation. And if your body and mind become unified, centered, composed in this way, you can continue to practice that style of meditation. Or if you feel comfortable, you can open it up and be aware of whatever reveals itself as you're sitting here. Thoughts, feelings,
feelings, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, sensations, states of consciousness, Beginning to rest in that which knows, the awareness in which all things are known. Relaxing as we practice being very open and aware, clear, discerning of whatever in the foreground of your awareness now which will probably include the sounds of my voice the words any thoughts or feelings that arise in response to my thoughts and to my uh, words and any reaction you have to your thoughts or feelings liking or not liking, wanting or not wanting. You don't have to change anything. We don't have to indulge in our being mesmerized by our thoughts or our feelings. We can very simply, in a very open, clear, direct, discerning way, be aware of them as thoughts, as feelings, or as sensations, as sounds, as smells. Staying very present, moment by moment by moment with whatever arises now in this moment of life.
the people from the board, Paul Irving is going to speak for a minute. So Paul. good good evening, everyone. It is a real pleasure to be here with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Donna tonight, about our practice of generosity. For the last 2,600 years, our tradition has been kept alive by this cycle of generosity of those who offer the teachings, doing so freely without regard to uh, who can pay or uh, without regard to whose ears it falls on. And similarly, those who receive the teachings offer their generosity to support those teachers. So um, we at SFI haven't been going quite so long as 2,600 years, only for about 28 or 29 years, I think it is now. And ever since we've started, this is how we, um, how we have been kept alive and how we are able to support our teachers. So I'm gonna put in the chat um, how you can make a contribution if you feel so inclined to do that. And I just wanna close on saying one thing, and that is when the Buddha talked about dana or generosity, he said that there were three requirements. That when you think about it ahead of time, that it brings you happiness. The thought of being generous. That in the act of doing it itself, that you feel happiness. And then afterwards, as you remember it, that you feel happy about it. So I offer that to you as a guide um, to offer your generosity in the amount that's appropriate for you so that you feel good about it, neither too much nor too little. Uh, so thank you very much for your participation in Sangha. And um, I'll put that, send that chat now. Paul, it sounded like you said, the Buddha said the requirement for dana is to be happy when you think of it, when you give and when you reflect on it. It's not the requirement. He's saying it's the, he said it's the impact of dana is that it'll bring joy when you think of it, joy when you do it and joy when you reflect on it. So thank you. We don't do requirements about Donna, you know. It's it's not, yeah. Okay, thank. I'm just clarifying a little. Thank you. Sure. Okay. So tonight, um, I want to talk about a little about anger, aggression, uh, the experience of it. What. Uh, how Buddhism understands it, how we might practice with it, and how we might wake up with it. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about it was um, I saw a video of um, <clears throat> that I'd seen, you know, uh, quite a while ago, but still I saw it again recently, Kimberly Jones. How many people saw the video of Kimberly Jones that went viral? few people. Let me just see who else. Yeah, keep your hands up if you saw it. Okay, because we're going to show it tonight also. 
because I think it talks about it, she manifests a certain kind of uh, anger that is very uh, awakened. And I'll say more after we see the video. But I thought I would start off by giving context about anger. I like to, you know, talk, use, I like to be specific about the words. The word angry or anger in the dictionary means strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, hostility. And one can be filled with anger or one can provoke anger, right? It's both a noun and a verb. And it comes from the old French. The word actually was vex, V-E-X, which I really, I didn't know that. I looked it up. I like that. It means to feel, feel annoyed, frustrated, or worried, especially with trivial matters. Trivial matters, right? You can even be angry about trivial, trivial matters, which I know a lot about. I can be angry about trivial things. And it comes from the Latin. It means to shake or disturb. A, uh, anger. And conventionally, anger is an emotion, right? It's just an emotion. It's, and it has energy and has force. And it also has a kind of instinctual potency to it. And anger arises for many of us. And of course, you reflect during the talk about when it arises for you. But um, arises when we're threatened sometimes or when we're betrayed or if there's some kind of misalignment or misattunement or misunderstanding or anger can arise in response to danger and we can feel many different qualities of anger we can feel irate or we can feel mad or we could feel furious or enraged and I like that rage, you can, it's livid or pissed off is a common phrase that describes anger. We don't say I'm angry, we say I'm pissed off. And then it can bring certain kind of states of consciousness like resentment or irritation or indignation or annoyance or fury or wrath or, or, or aggression. And so you might reflect for a moment right now about when do you get angry? What makes you angry? Or, or maybe you're somebody who doesn't get angry. That's possible. Usually not. That's very rare. But, um, you know, how do you, and, you know, when do you get angry? What makes you angry? What happens when you're angry? How do you practice with anger? How do you make it, how is it part of your practice? Or if it's not, how come it's not part of your practice, anger? You know, and of course the key Buddhist questions, are you skillful with your anger or are you unskillful with your anger? Do you act skillfully even when you're angry or do you act unskillfully when you're uh, angry? And in Buddhism, it's the most traditional teaching. One of the most ancient teachings is about anger. It's in the Dhammapada. And it's the, it's the teaching to guard against anger. 
And they say, guard against anger erupting in body, in body be restrained. Guard against anger erupting in speech, in speech be restrained. Guard against anger erupting in mind, in mind be restrained. And I want to be clear here, they don't, they don't say get rid of it or don't have it. They say guard against it, be aware of it, right? And then they say be restrained, don't just act on it. And of course, they're pointing here when they say guard against it erupting in body, in speech, in mind. They're, they're talking about bo what's called bodily misconduct or in Buddhism, which includes killing or stealing or engaging in illicit activities, whether it be drugs or sex or things like that, meaning illicit sex is, not, is also sex that's not illicit. And then verbal misconduct has to do with lies or harsh, harshness or divisive speech or idle chatter. And mental misconduct is about grasping or ill will or wrong views or misunderstanding uh, reality. And so anger, like all emotions, is part of our practice. And we want to get, we want to become skillful at working with it. It's just an emotion on one level. And it's a very potent, powerful, dynamic, forceful, uh, explosive at times emotion. Utejaniya, Saira Utejaniya, he said, if there is anger and you decide to investigate this emotion, you are setting the mind in the right direction. If, however, you decide to try to get rid of this anger, you are directing the mind in the wrong direction. Right? And so he's very clear about it. It's not about getting rid of it. We're not trying to get rid of anger. We're trying to understand it. We're going to try, trying to wake up with it and through it. It becomes another doorway to awakening. And so for us, the, the main thing is, what is it experientially? What happens experientially right here? And I'm pointing at Eugene, but really I'm pointing at you. You know, Isla or Mark or Pam or Michael or Maggie or Stephanie or Allison. Or, you know, what happens here when we get angry? Can we be open to it? Can we allow it? Can we be aware of it? And not and act skillfully, not unskillfully, when there's anger. Hmm. And what happens if we investigate it and don't judge it? <clears throat> it's often triggered when we feel some kind of obstacle to meeting what we want or our needs or what we think is right or proper. And how do we? bow to the intelligence that may be there in the anger without being hijacked by the emotional intensity or reactivity that can come with anger. And it's such a fine line in at a certain point to really allow the reactivity fully without acting on it, to allow the energy, the dynamic, the potency of it fully and let it 
awaken us rather than moving us in habitual ways. I often in Buddhism, people aspire to be without anger or beyond anger, but it often just erupts for people and it surprises them. And I've seen a lot of great Buddhist teachers, deep ones, be angry. And I've seen a lot of my other teachers be angry, whether it's in Buddhism or the diamond approach. And, you know, it's just part of human reality. But for many of us, there's a split between what's spiritual and what's not spiritual. What's religious or what's sacred and what's not sacred. You know, it's a traditional split also between body and spirit or heaven and earth or heaven and hell, excuse me, or sacred and profane, right? And of course, they're all sitting right here. It's a great paradox of, of, the, of reality is it's all right here. It's not one or the other. And so can we be here with what's here and let it wake us up? People say a lot of different things about anger. It's bad or it's not bad or it's right or it's not right. And people say a lot of interesting things. Malachi McCourt said, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And that's the piece we want to be aware of. We want to be able to feel our resentment so that it can metabolize through us so that we're not just stuck with it forever, being resentful of whatever happened a week ago or a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. And it doesn't mean we don't that we deny why we were resentful, what might have happened that was totally... Um, uh, inappropriate or wrong or unskillful or um, uh, fucked up, actually. But we just don't want to live in the resentment because that's us, right, taking the poison and waiting for the other person to die. Or Penelope uh, Gillette, she said, people in a temper often say a lot of silly, terrible things they, they mean. They said, we say a lot of silly, terrible things that we mean. And it's really, you know, and I would assume we've all done that at times, said things that have come out of our mouth that have been horrible towards somebody or mean or vicious towards somebody. And, and it was just, we thought it was the truth. We didn't realize, oh, that's our anger speaking in an unawakened way, in an immature way. And then, of course, there's other people who think anger is good, like Pema Chodron, who's a Tibetan teacher who I like a lot. She said, people say, I fall asleep all the time in meditation. What shall I do? She says, there's a lot of antidotes to drowsiness, but my favorite is experience anger. 
You're not sleepy when you're angry. You ever notice that? There's some energy there. And what she's pointing at is there's good energy there and we want access to that energy. We don't want to just be enthralled by it. We don't just want to act on it unskillfully. We want the energy so we can cut through whatever bullshit might be happening where anger arises. Saito Uteshiya says it this way. He says, the whole objective of meditation is not to quiet the mind. The objective of, of meditation is to know to know whatever is happening as it is. If it is quiet, then it is quiet. If it's not quiet, then it's not quiet. Just know that. And of course, we could substitute anger for quiet, right? It's not a goal that you should be angry, right? It's not the objective of meditation is you have to feel angry. But if it's here, be aware of that and be aware of it fully, somatically, kinesthetically, energetically, affectively, cognitively, of the whole experience of anger, because it's a whole world in and of itself. And of course, the emotions in general and anger can be difficult to work with because we get so mesmerized by it and identified with it and consumed by it. And it's one of the reasons why I like that word vex, the French origin of anger, vex, because they talked about trivial things can set it off. And that's where I see my anger at times. And I've said this many times here, but it's, you know, I get, I get pissed off at bad drivers in San Francisco. And really, and I've said this, it's, it's really nothing, right? But but it's, I have that kind of reaction to people who don't know how to drive. And I'm sure that's none of you who are sitting here, but, but if you're on the road with me, I might think it's one of you sometimes. And so, um, uh, it, but it's, it's just, you know, I'm vexed and I don't have to take it seriously. Even in the moment though, I'll express it, I'll be pissed about it. But I don't, like I've said, I don't run my car into anybody's car if they're a bad driver or anything like that. I don't act unskillfully. I don't even yell out the window at them or anything. I don't give people the finger. You know, it's just not, it's not worth that. But it is something that I experience and I'm, I practice with instead of being mesmerized by. And I was thinking about the last time I really got pissed thing and, and let it rip, which is my way of practicing with it. Uh, it was about a friend of mine who, um, who I've worked with and I've known many years and we've been friends and, uh, and he got mad at me and doesn't want to talk to me and wouldn't talk to me about why he doesn't want to talk to me. He would only email me. And I just, and you know, and I felt bad and I tried emailing and I'm not good at doing process during email and at some point I just got pissed and I got pissed here right here fully pissed irritated pissed like I've had it with you fucker I'm done with you you motherfucker that was all and I just let it rip 
here. I didn't call him up. I didn't say that. I didn't send him an email because I don't want <laughs> That's not what I really want to communicate with him. But I want to let myself feel it because it clarifies and it became so clear. And I felt free of the anger by the end of that. I didn't feel like I had to do anything. And, and I made never speak with him again and that may be the truth but I felt free of the whole thing to be clear the Sufi poet Hafez says don't surrender your loneliness here and you can always substitute anger don't substitute your loneliness so quickly let it cut more deeply let it season you as few ingredients can let it season you as few ingredients can. And that's the paradox of really letting our emotions be here and being with them is they can season us, mature us, in my language, awaken us. <clears throat> you know, in Buddhism, different sections of Buddhism, they say different things. In Tricycle, they were talking about anger. They said, as practitioners, we sometimes feel as if we must behave as diplomats for Buddhism, always acting gentle and not getting angry. And that's the great thing about Buddhism. You can get angry. It's totally okay. The Dalai Lama, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, he says, yeah, get angry. Feel it. He says, don't act on it, feel it. And so what's pointed to in Buddhism is awareness, presence, kindness, openness, clarity, being here with it in its actuality, in its full aliveness. This is again from Pema Chodron. She said in Vajrayana Buddhism, it is said that wisdom is inherent in emotions. I'm going to say that again. In Vajrayana Buddhism, it is said that wisdom is inherent in emotions. When we struggle against our energy, we reject the source of wisdom. Anger without the fixation is none other than clear seeing, is clear seeing wisdom. Pride without fixation is experienced as equanimity. The energy of passion, when it's free of grasping, is wisdom that sees all the angles. And she's pointing at the awakening potential for every experience, for all of us. Can we be here with what's here fully, completely, intimately, with that same kind of intimacy we cultivate with the body and the breathing? We want to be with the motion, the energy, the aliveness, the dynamism of anger. And I'm, I don't know if you notice, I'm, I've got a little vajra here. And the vajra in Tibetan Buddhism is a ritual weapon, right? That symbolizes the properties of a diamond, indestructibility, and a thunderbolt, irresistible force. And it's part of what's inherent in the, in the Tibetan teachings, right, that Pema Chodron keeps pointing to. And it's said that uh, the ribs of the, can meet in this ball shape like they have in top here, right? I think you can see that. But also, 
they can separate these ribs and I can't separate it because this is a real diamond. No, this is a glass or something that somebody gave me. And uh, it, they can separate and they can end in sharp points for which to stab. And this was a religious, uh, uh, you know, part of their tradition was you hold this because you have the capacity for having that, um, that um, diamond-like thunderbolt power of the Dharma in your hand. And it can, it can meet in this ball-shaped top and be unified, but it can also stab or cut through delusion. One of the Zen teachers, uh, Steve Stuckey, when he was dying, he said he was in a lot of pain. He said, I found relief from suffering, not by turning away from it, but by turning towards what is most difficult. And for many of us, anger is difficult to turn towards. And I thought I would read to you a little from my friend Jack Cornfield and uh, Jack, I know Jack personally for a long time now and have heard, you know, I've hung out with Jack, so we tell stories and talk about our lives. And I've heard about his family and how he got to Buddhism and how he first went to the Peace Corps, right, in, in Southeast Asia. And that's how he ended up going to Buddhism or meeting Buddhism. And he wrote a little bit. I'll read some of it and I'll comment on it. Um, and um, <clears throat> oh wait, let me get back. Um, he had a he had a very violent father, Jack. And uh, <laughs> I'm getting calls. Sorry. Um, uh, he had a violent father and who was abusive, abusive to his mom, abusive to the kids, and uh, a scientist, I believe, actually. And uh, Jack, when he went to practice, he realized he'd suppressed all his emotions. He, they were dangerous to uh, all his, excuse me, all his anger, that it was dangerous to feel because he didn't want to be like his father. And he wrote, he said, in my awareness of meditation and solitude, all the things I was angry about came up. This is when he became a monk. He said, all the uh, things that he was angry about came up. It was more than anger, it was fury. First at my father for being so hurtful to our family. Then because it frightened me and I had denied it, I was angry at myself for all the times I'd suppressed my anger. Ajahn Chah told me to sit in the middle of it, to wrap myself in robes even on a hot day and learn to tolerate the anger, learn to be with it. Later, his uh, Diamond Approach teacher, because he did some work with the Diamond Approach teacher for many years still, I believe, um, with Hamid, he said, uh, Hamid had me breathe hard, make sounds, shout, grimace, rage, and uh, rage and flail until I expressed fury's pain and wept. In these years of meditation therapy, I learned to work with anger and discovered that it's an energy that can be known and tolerated, not feared. 
I had to acknowledge when it was present and realize that I could feel it fully without being become, becoming vengeful or violent like my father. I also realized that when understood, anger has value. It is a protest against when we feel hurt or afraid or our needs aren't met. At times, it can bring clarity. The ancient Greeks, Greeks called anger a noble emotion because it gives you the strength to stand up for what you care about most. Mm. So I'd like to show this um, um, video now, which Miru is going to show for us. And this is uh, Kimberly Joes. Let me see something for a minute, Miru. Um, and as I said, I saw, I've seen this months ago, and again, it went viral after George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters protests that were happening. But I saw it again recently, and I was so moved by her clarity and directness and honesty and vulnerability and realness, even as she's angry. And I think she's a really good example of the potential for anger to free us and to be real about things. And also you'll hear, well, I'll say a little more at the end, you'll hear the clarity that comes, especially right at the end. So it's about six minutes and do it, watch it as practice. Stay really open. Don't go somewhere else while this is on. Even if you've seen it before, see how it impacts you now. Okay, Miru, thank you. Sure, I'm gonna share now. Um, I'm gonna play soon. If you don't hear clearly, please uh, stop me and I'll make the sound clearer. Can we get it? Yeah, let's get it full. So I've, I've been seeing a lot of things talking of the people making commentary. Um, Interestingly enough, the ones I've noticed that have been making the commentary are wealthy black people making the commentary about we should not be um, rioting, we should not be looting, we should not be tearing up our own communities. And then there's been an argument of the other side of we should be hitting them in the pocket. We should be focusing on the blackout days where we don't spend money. Um, but, you know, I feel like we should do both. And I feel like I support both. And I'll tell you why I support both. I support both because there, when you have a civil unrest like this, there are three types of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to fuck shit up, and that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why. And that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, 
Let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting, that's their only opportunity to get it. We need to be questioning that why. Why are people that poor? Why are people that broke? Why are people that that food insecure, that clothing insecure, that they feel like they're only shot, that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa. That was Rosewood. There are Those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play and every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your Monopoly money. And then, finally, at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now, at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken.
And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. It's a very powerful I don't even know what to call it. Speech is not the right word, but it's clear what she has to say, at least to me, and the power of it and the goodness of it. And of course, it's coming out of her fury about, you know, 450 years of racism in this country. And it's such a powerful metaphor she uses to use the monopoly because Everybody knows that it's a game and that you're just playing a game with Monopoly. And uh, in fact, that's what uh, she and I believe black people have experienced is being played in this country in that way because they built this country. And so I just really bow to... Uh, the power of her being real in that way and clear in that way and and the discernment that she uses and the um, kindness that you see at the end when she says, this is not about revenge, this is about equity, being equal. And that's, to, me, to my mind, that's totally in line with the Dharma, what she's saying. And yeah, so my reaction to it is very much appreciation of the no bullshitness that's possible with anger because she's not doing anything. She's not attacking someone, but she is saying what's true. Sharon Salzberg, who teaches in our tradition, she said, anger transmutes to wisdom. Anger transmutes to wisdom. Transmutation occurs because anger can involve the same kind of cutting through, not taking things for granted, being willing to speak unwelcome or unpleasant truths as wisdom. That, that video always moves me more than I expect because I've seen it many times and it's still she's just so real and so honest <clears throat> mm. 
So I'm going to stop there. We have time for comments or questions about anger, about the video, about your experience, about how you practice with anger, or about how you don't practice with anger, what's difficult or what's what works. And please raise your hand. You can go to the, oh, let me think. You can go to the um, participants button or the reactions, that's it, the reactions button. There's a raised hand there. And please raise your hand if you wanna say something or join the conversation. Please, Isabel. Hi. Um, I had a question about about um, sitting with our difficult emotions, in this case, anger. Uh, uh -huh. I'm also thinking about fear and anxiety. Uh -huh. um, I just noticed that I, what's a great way to, what, what's a helpful way to do that? I have my ways. Um, I just would like to hear a little bit more feedback from you, like when you just sit with it. I tend to just kind of like, watch my breath kind of come and go and the, the, the feeling come move through and moves on. Um, but sometimes I get really scared when I'm letting myself have the feelings that it's going to like make me blow up <laughs> or it's right. going to do me damage, but I'm right. just working on not staying in that place. So if you could just comment on it, that would be great. Thank you. So stay with me a second. You may okay. let's see. Um, um, because uh, I'm not trying to get rid of the anger when I sit with it. I just want to really experience it. What is it? I want to be curious about it on every level, energetically, um, somatically, uh, affectively, and cognitively. What's here? And because, you know, there may be a lot of good reasons to be angry, right? And so what's here and what happens as I don't just act on the energy of it, but feel the energy? What happens if I don't just act on my, re if I don't just um, um, go with the reactive part of my anger, like I want to hit someone or kill them or tell them what an asshole they are, but just stay with the energy that's here and let it clarify itself to see what's appropriate and what's skillful. Is that, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. Happy. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah. Hi, Eugene. I really appreciate what you share about like there's wisdom in this anger. Yeah, I I guess where I'm a little bit stuck, or maybe I I perceive myself as stuck, is like I think I do believe there's wisdom there, but I think maybe I just have a hard time trying to access what is that wisdom. Like, is there any like guiding questions that we can ask during a meditation practice, or like, or I think maybe another cause could be like energetically, maybe I feel kind of scared of the anger that's why i find it hard to really feel it yeah so you so. Said that and the woman before said that so then you want to be aware of the fear what are you scared of 
right? So the investigative quality, the investigative factor of enlightenment is very important to see not just the angers here. Oh, I'm afraid of it. What am I afraid of? It's just anger, right? And it, and it may feel explosive or potent yeah. or, or volcanic, right? Mm-hmm. Become a volcano. See what happens. Feel the yeah. energy that might feel volcanic. Mm. I, you know, if you stay with it, you, you don't have to act on it. Although it may okay. feel like you have to act on it because we don't like feeling that volcanic energy. Yeah, I guess I know that... I mean, I felt a lot of anger towards my mom recently and... I think there's a part of me that's like, oh, why am I so angry? She has done so much for me that, like, right. I think there's this part of like, I should not be so angry. Right. Good. Though there That's is cool. few things that I am angry about. Right. And so you know the the you're not supposed to shoot on yourself. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. No, should is not what we're doing in Buddhism. And it's good. It's good you see, oh, yeah, she's done a lot for you. I mean, she gave you birth, right? And that's a good thing. But that doesn't mean you're not angry about some other things she may have done that may have not been skillful or appropriate. So then the question is, how do I talk to her from a clear, direct, honest place? That's not about hurting her, but about clarifying what's going on between us. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of like allowing that anger to because there are things that it's okay yeah. to be angry about. Yeah, it's okay to be angry. But you don't want to just act out of your reaction. Mm. You want to act out of your wisdom and of your presence and having metabolized the energy of the anger. So it turns to clarity, strength, uh, um, a kind of fierce uh, truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and it can be also a fierce kindness that comes too, because you don't want to be mean to your mom. That's not what Mm -hmm. that's not what we're suggesting. It's not about being mean. It's about being being yourself fully with. Mm. Got it. So basically, it's kind of like I, I need to, or like I, it would be good for me to feel into the anger and metabolize it first, yeah, and then have the conversation with her with clarity and have, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. And of course, sometimes we'll do it wrong, and then <laughs> you know, and then you want to be kind to yourself and kind to her. It's always good when we act unskillfully out of anger it's helpful to apologize mm-hmm. yeah thank you okay thank you david s hi can you hear me okay yeah okay um um i don't know if this is a question or just a uh, venting or something but um sure. vent away the, we're doing anger I most often have with anger is that it comes up seemingly out of nowhere 
like I'll stub my toe and I'll be infuriated. So clearly I, there was probably already something I was angry about and I really, yes, it would be good to investigate it. But right now I'm trying to mop the floor or I'm trying to write an email or I'm trying to do the laundry. And, why, and, and so the trouble I have is that, that I get angry about being angry. It's like meta anger. And it's like, okay, oh, so I'm sorry. You can't mop the floor now. You have to be angry. You have to be with your anger because that's what you have to do with it because otherwise you'll just suppress it and it'll make more trouble. And I don't, you know, I, I'm not happy about that situation. I get it. So can't you mop angrily? <laughs> that could be dangerous. <laughs> it could be, but I think... While you're angry. What's that? I, I, I think it's hard to be, to, to be skillful while I'm angry. Well, it's possible, though. You could, mop, you could mop angrily and be skillful. Don't hit anybody with the mop or anything. But, but So here's something I used to do. This isn't quite mopping, but physical activity can help metabolize the anger. And so I used to do angry swims. I swam in the bay for many years, and I would just get... Uh, I would be angry and I would do these fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you swims and something would metabolize then. But and I still have to stop what I'm doing because the anger takes priority. Well, no, you don't have to stop. I didn't stop my swimming because I was No, angry. but if you got angry while you were writing an email, did you run out and go swimming all without finishing no, your email? No, but, I, but I, might, I might jump up and down for two minutes and say, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and then go back to writing the email. Or I might do something quieter. I might not do that. I might just feel the anger for one minute fully. Mm -hmm. and, and not just be caught in my thoughts about what I'm angry about, but actually feel it. And that takes practice. And so for that one minute, I can't do what I was set out, set out to do, which was yeah, not but you, you, you're not You're not being able to do it anyways because you're angry. <laughs> yeah, and that makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> right. So feel all that anger. you got a lot of good anger. Okay. Get, close, get closer to it, really. Instead of judging the anger, get closer to it. It's got Vajra energy. <laughs> okay, it, I'll try it, to remember that. That's, I like that. So, thank you. Sure. Play with it. See what happens. Okay. Uh, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Unmute. There we go. There. Okay. Um, sometimes we hear that anger is a cover for other things uh -huh. like hurt or fear or, um, uh -huh. well, let's go with those two. Sure. Um, I, I, my sister who died a year ago Tuesday was a person who was often angry. And I know that her anger was covering up mm. hurt and lack of being understood when she was a child. 
-hmm. and things like that. So I just wondered if you would comment on anger as a cover for other feelings. That's why that definitely is true often. And it's why we want to get closer to the anger because sometimes we'll go through the anger and other emotions will reveal themselves that are the causes and conditions for why we're angry. It's not really because we're mopping the floor that we're angry, but there's something deeper, right? Right. That, that, that the stubbing the toe, we're, we're dragged, we stub our toe. But if there's extra anger, it's usually something like what you're pointing at. It's some, uh, it's some other situation or some history or some cause and condition or some object relations or some psychological component. That is why we're angry and we haven't dealt with it or metabolized it. And we want to be very respectful of, uh, of whatever is here right? Whether it's conscious or unconscious. And you're pointing at what may be unconscious at times. And yet we also want to liberate that. Anything else? Is that clear? Yes, it's very clear. And I still carry a lot of sadness about her because because of that situation that that I talked to her about many times, but never it never was changed. Even. Right. Yeah. Well, you don't know where she is now, and you know, or what's happening now, and because death, a lot happens with death that we yeah. don't know about. We're all going to learn about, and you know, we but will. but really, it's um, yeah. Uh, all I know for sure is it's not static. Nothing is fixed in Nothing is static. Yeah. static. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I would just keep offering your loving kindness for her and also for yourself, for your sadness and concern. Because that's you. here. It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sure. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, Allison. Hi. Thank you, Eugene. Hi. And everybody. Um, I've been working with anger an awful lot today. <laughs> I was so happy yesterday at seeing them and the way that things are changing. Mm-hmm. really felt like I was working pretty discerningly, pretty skillfully with it. I was proud with trying to precision with saying, here's the violation inside of this. Here's the fear. Here's what I hope to communicate, the love inside of it. Mm-hmm. And the impotence, mm-hmm. the um, women, I don't know, men, Women, I can only speak from where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. There's the threat of banishment that comes with anger. Mm -hmm. The threat of no more family, no more love. Mm -hmm. If you get angry, you're hysterical or 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's uncalled for. It's inappropriate. Go away until you can behave. Go away until you can belong. Right. And this is what I'm up against and what I've been struggling to communicate, digging very deeply and being confronted with. Mm-hmm. It's very painful. Yes. As and one wants to be effective also, and one wants to belong. Sure. No, what I hear you're pointing at is the gender bias discrimination about you're supposed to be some way and anger is not part of it. If you're a woman or a good girl, that's how I hear it. You know, it's the, it's that kind of, and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying in the broader sense. Yeah. And, uh, I live, I've had a man in my world and men who I've been surrounded by who have reveled in their anger uh-huh. and had great achievement as a result of their anger and gotten their way with right. anger and been promoted with uh-huh. anger and used it very vibrantly to feel themselves and yeah. to just take up a lot of space and i mean i'm gender you know say what's the conditioning and i was a tomboy and i struggled to find my voice felt very proud of finding areas of emotion and voice and response Mm -hmm. and that's an area that's really a challenge because there is a boundary making that is essential with anger in order to promote survival and if we're up against this moment of endangerment and trying to meet that skillfully but you're met with well i have a right to deny you your safety because I can, right. it's a challenge not to disappear, try to disappear right. in the so, face of it. So tell me if I'm hearing you correctly, but how to, how to use your anger skillfully when it can be used against you, mm-hmm. right? And then how to, how to be really... Um, when you're as skillful as you could be. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but there, so, but I'm saying it's, and, and sometimes, and yeah, I get it. You're saying that's not good enough, right? Being skillful. And so there's a kind of, I'm trying to think of the right language, but there's a kind of paradoxical skillfulness where you're so skillful, they don't even know you're angry and you're still sticking the knife in them because that's what's needed to protect yourself. I'm not sure I understand that part. The vindictive part. I mean, I understand going too far and saying you're, I loved what you said about saying those things that were actually true, uh-huh. <laughs> skillfully, right. but, but they but, might not be effective. I'm, I'm saying in this, in the situation you're presenting or proposing is that that doesn't work. And so how do you say it in a way it doesn't sound like you're angry, but you're still using that energy to get what's true to happen or needed for yourself. And I'm not sure, again, I don't know enough about the details of what you're thinking about, but I'm talking more broadly about um, 
like if I'm out on the street, I'm going to put it this way, if I'm out on the street and I see there's somebody who's tough and, if, and they do something I don't like, if I get angry at them, that's not, they're tougher than me. I'm not really tough, right, in that kind of street way. But I know how to uh, do things to make them think I'm not their enemy and help get them to do what I want. I'm not like that. I don't know yeah. how to manipulate in a way somehow that would be better in the world right. for what's well, expected saying, of me. <laughs> right. I, I understand. I'm just saying that's another skill that's possible to learn how to navigate as we see the big picture. Then we see what's, what, what's needed, what's doable, what's not doable, and then and then sometimes the most skillful thing is retreat. And that's also skillful, right? It's not that we can do whatever we want or say whatever we want, or sometimes the wisdom is in retreat and protecting ourselves so we can be there another day. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, I think we're at the end of our time, everybody. I want to go back to uh, to the gallery view. So uh, let's just take a mo mo minute for sharing of merit. And you can be very relaxed, just uh, offering your good wishes, appreciating the time, place, teachings, the Dharma, that we have the good fortune to be here and practice together, study anger together, keep learning how to, how to be angry and be free at the same time, not expecting it to be a done deal, but having the good fortune to keep learning, keep waking up and sending that good fortune out in every direction, in every realm, in every world May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, free from misunderstanding, free from being disconnected with the wisdom energy that's available in any human experience. May we all awaken. May we awaken together. May all beings be free. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Eugene. Thanks for sharing. You all. Bye, everyone. Take care. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.